You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You can be seated. And uh, God is so good and he loves you. And I'm so glad that you get to experience that today. Can we give our band a round of applause for leading us? And uh, I pray that you would experience that too. Let's open up our Bibles. If you have one, I hope you do to Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Luke chapter 5. We're in chapter 5. All right. Can I get like an amen here? We're in chapter 5. Verse 1, and uh, you just get ready there, okay? You get ready there, keep it open, keep your finger there. That's what we'll be walking through, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, okay? Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and we find ourselves in the journey of a long story, right? This long story, the greatest story in history um, of the God, the great one. Right? This is the story of God the Great One throughout all of Scripture. And listen, here's what happened. In creation, this is how it started. In love, God created everything. Just picture this. For His glory. He, pictured every, he, he, he created everything for His glory. Listen, creation, the expanse of the sky, the sun, the moon. Psalm 19 tells us that everything was made, here's the purpose, to proclaim his glory, to announce it, to declare it, to pronounce it. Look at this, his glory, Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare, what? It's up on the screen, the glory of God. So this is why he made everything. And then people, human beings, you and I together, right? We were created to show his glory. That's why you were made. If you ever ask the question, why do I exist? That's why. We don't have to wonder because Isaiah gives us the insight. Look, Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my what? Glory, whom I formed and made. So this great God created great things for great enjoyment by us. We get to enjoy the greatest God and God gets all the glory. He's made to look great. Because here's what glory is. Listen, first you understand that God is holy, right? We talk about that a lot, right? God is holy holy, right? Well, what does that mean? It means for God to be set apart. He's distinct. He's like no one else. He's cut from a different cloth. Like he is so far beyond, right? Anything. And we see the seraphim tell us about us, uh, tell us about God. They enlighten us. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, right? They cry out. What do they cry out? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, right? He's holy and he displays his holiness through displaying his glory. So God, listen, being set apart, distinct, special, greater, unlike any other, is meaning to make his greatness visible, manifest, so that people can see it. His invisible, distinctive, foundational attribute of his holiness, he is making seen, visible, obvious, apparent, evident, and he calls it glory. 
That's what happens when you see it, that all of mankind would know this. Listen, they would know God and they would know about God from seeing his glory made manifest so that they could enjoy God, be loved by God, and God would even look even more glorious because, listen, our loving of him, our loving of how great he is and him being supreme in our lives and him loving us completely would actually display once again to a lost world, listen, his glory, his greatness, his superiority. This is the point of why he created everything. And listen, although God, the great one, created everything for this purpose, all of mankind, beginning with Adam and Eve, you guys know the story, right? In Genesis chapter 3, they began to suppress the truth. And they loved the lesser things rather than the greater things, rather than the greater one. And we see this vivid picture. Look at Romans 1. It's on the screen. For what can be known about God is plain to them or to us because God has shown it to them or to us. His invisible attributes, namely his internal power, his divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has made. So we are without excuse for although they, we knew God, we did not honor him as such and give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, foolish, Heart, their, um, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen, claiming to be wise, they became fools because here's what we did as human beings. Here's what Adam and Eve did. We exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is what mankind has done. And listen, so this sin spreads to all men. All men are sinners. Look at Romans 3.23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the what? Glory of God. We don't love his glory like we ought. That's what that means. And so God, listen, it goes further, upholding his goodness. Because listen, let me tell you something. God is good. He is the epitome of good. Like listen, good gets its standard from God, not the other way around, right? So he is the epitome of good, would in his goodness punish sin. Look at this, Romans 1.17. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness, who by their unrighteousness, remember what we said, suppress the truth that he's the great one. But let me tell you, as great as God's wrath is, and it's great, it's scary, As great as God's wrath is on sin, so great was his love for his people, right? How great the Father's love for us. We sing this. And so his plan became apparent. His plan, he had a plan, and his his plan became manifest. It became seen. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, God, who saved us or would save us or saves us now and calls us to a holy calling, not because of, look at this, our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in who? Christ Jesus, before the ages began, this was his plan. And now that Jesus has come, now here in Luke, in the Gospels, it's now been made manifest through the appearing of the Savior, Christ Jesus. And in this life, listen, he abolishes death and brings life and immortality to light through the good news of the Gospel. God himself was coming down to satisfy his own wrath. (laughs) God was going to satisfy his own wrath by punishing himself for our sin. 
So from the line, listen, of Adam, he made a people. They were his own. He called them Israel. And God's plan was in play. And he created a law for his people, the 10 what? Commandments. And there's more. And guess what? They broke every one of them because the law only made them more aware of their sin. You see, law wouldn't make them right. Their consistent choice was to sin. They would need to be justified by something greater than keeping the law. And you know what that is? Grace. Simply grace. So he sent prophets to call his people back, and guess what? They didn't come back or listen to the prophets. So he had plans one day to send a greater prophet. He sent priests. God sent priests to make sacrifices for sins, but guess what? They continued to sin. He had plans one day to send a greater priest, a greater sacrifice. They established kings. He established kings for his people when they requested it to lead his people, but they didn't follow. And one day, guess what? He would send a greater king. He made promises like the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12 for his people to inherit the land. But one day, listen, God was going to send his son so that they could bring, be brought into a greater land where the founder and the builder is who? God. He made promises. Listen, this is leading up to this. God made promises like the Davidic covenant to send a king one day through this line. And he was going to send a greater king. You see, listen, through the line of Adam, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through the line of David would come the greater one, the greatest one, God himself coming to earth, the divine one, God, the son of God in flesh. And listen, he would live the greater life, a perfect one. He would die the greater death for the sins of the world. And he would take on the great wrath of God. All of your sin that separates you from God would be removed. By what Jesus does, he could forgive all of your sin, past, present, future. All forgiven in one act. And once again, listen, you can be embraced by and you can embrace the greater one, God himself and his glory as he designed everything to work. So how does one receive this? Listen, because it can't be by works, because if you try to get this by works, you're not connected to it. It's not by works. Remember, it's by grace. So simply asking and wanting and receiving. I don't know. I didn't do anything for it, God, but I want that salvation that you're paying for by yourself. I want that. That's how you get it, by embracing Jesus as divine. Listen, before you can ask, before you can want, before you can receive, you got to believe. Believing comes first so that when you believe, you say, oh, that's true. Jesus died for my sin. I want that. And once you believe, you ask and it's yours, right? Because embracing Jesus as divine, as son of God, that's how you get salvation. He's always been divine. Look at this. John chapter 1, verse 1. You guys know this text. In the beginning was the Word. That's him. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning and all things were made through him. And without him, guess what was made? Zero. 
And what about Colossians 1, 15 through 17? If you lost, like, maybe, like, you have, maybe Jesus is not the greatest of, in every single category, like, then you look at Colossians 1, right? And you see this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him <laughs> he holds all things together. Like, there ain't any other category, right? He's the first and the foremost in every category. So listen, you see, it's through believing in these truths of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross that one is saved. That's how it happens. Calling on him after believing. You don't believe me? Look at this, Romans 10, 14. How are they going to call on one in whom they have not what? You believe, and then you call. But listen, just in accordance with this verse, you got to believe before you call. Now listen, there's a long story of a king who used to tell stories before he told the story, and I've just told you a story before we get into the story. And you might be wondering <laughs> why I've told you this whole story before we've gotten into the story. But let me tell you, because without it, you don't understand the story. This is, a long, this is within a long line of context of what God has been doing since the beginning of time. And this is what we find Jesus doing exactly in our passage. Listen, he's moving people into a place of belief so that they would receive salvation. That's it. Now, this is what Jesus is doing through this whole book, through the whole Bible. You might say, like, how many weeks are we going to see that Jesus is who he is, the Son of God, God himself, divine? We know, but here's the point of all of history. That's it. So the whole book's about it. Jesus just showing himself to be God. That's it. So that you see it, you believe it, you understand it, you want it, you ask for it, you receive it. He's just showing himself. He's moving people into a, a place of belief about who he is so that people can see he's greater. People can see he's divine. People can see that he's the son of God. That's the point of this text that we're about to read. He's divine. He's God. Because your salvation depends on it. Their salvation depended on it. So listen, for these people... For these people to receive salvation, they must believe that he is the son of God. He's God himself. He's divine. Everything rests on it. So that's all he's doing is showing. And listen, that's exactly what he's about to show you. That's what he's going to show you today, that he's divine. So my prayer today is this. God's point today, Luke's point, the authorial intent of what we're about to read is this. Jesus is divine. He's the son of God. He's the greatest one. And so believing in this, that you would receive him, embrace him for salvation. And listen, maybe for those who are already convinced, maybe you were convinced before we even started, but that you would be convinced once again of him being greater. That you would maybe even assess your own life and where other things have become greater to you than the greatest one the divine one, the son of God. Because we don't only receive him for salvation in this way, we keep him in that proper place in our life, number one. First and foremost, because he is divine, he's greater, he's the king, he's God. And that you would be so captivated by who Jesus is today that you would cause him 
to increase in your life. That you would, not that you can influence God to do anything out of his control, but that you would put him back into the proper place in your life. That he would increase and those other things that are number one right now would decrease. As you embrace the divine son of God and his love for you, as you embrace the greater one, let's pray and let's ask God to do this in our lives today. Father, we come. You've been doing a great thing, a mighty work throughout all of history. You created everything for your glory. Your glory is seen and displayed to show you to be set apart as we, as your people, were made to enjoy you and make you look great as you are. And God, we understand from the sin of Adam and Eve and from the sin of our choice that we have chosen to suppress the truth, this truth that we understand. And God, we have all turned to our own way. We all fall short of your glory. And yet, God, your love for us is so great that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, sent by you, the Father. You yourself have come down to take your own wrath so that by your work we could receive salvation. And God, we understand that receiving this salvation is by believing. It's by believing in who you are and what you've done for us on the cross. And so God, I pray that as we look at you today and look that you have, Jesus, you are showing people, all you're doing is showing people who you truly are. You're divine, you're the son of God, you're the great one. I pray, God, that as we look at you today, we would believe. And so ask you for salvation. If the people in this room have believed already, God, I pray that in seeing you, we'd be so captivated by you that we'd put you back into the proper place in our life and that other things that are more important or have become more important than you would decrease and you would increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Doing baptisms today and it looks like we're getting baptized. We got some background music. Luke chapter 5, you guys are already there. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read to verse 11. You ready? On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked to put out a little from land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came, and they filled the boats with fish, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. 
What an incredible story. Now listen, so far, listen, we've seen Luke's purpose in writing. We've seen both of the birth narratives, which has been a lot of text, right? A lot of uh, storyline through the birth narratives. We've seen the boy narratives, okay? Boyhood narratives. And we've seen Jesus start his ministry. So what characterizes everything so far and what we've seen is the theme of testimony, Okay, that characterizes everything that we've seen so far in this really in this whole book, really. Okay, so what we've seen is testimony from who? Elizabeth, Zechariah, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the angels, Simeon, Anna. We've seen the circumcision. We've seen the sacrifice uh, uh, of sacrifice, of baptism, of testimony, of his temptation, testimony of Old Testament prophecy. We've seen the testimony of John the Baptist. And listen, no more important than this, we've seen the testimony of who? The Father and the Holy Spirit. This whole story is about this man, Jesus, who everyone is giving a testimony about, that this is the anointed one. Listen, this is the anointed one. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God. This is what the testimony is about. And in John and Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry, here's the deal. He begins to give testimony of himself. Now he's giving testimony of himself. And listen, though he would be rejected, though he would need to retreat from place to place, though his coming to earth was humble and it was hidden, though he was preaching about himself and the kingdom of God and through this display of authority showing himself to be the son of God, listen to what would happen. He would show himself to be the true Messiah, the true king, the true divine one, the son of God. And so this is what Jesus has been doing, showing himself to be the son of God, the divine one. That's what his whole ministry is about. That's what this whole book is about. That's what this whole passage is about. And so listen, as he continues his ministry, Jesus shows himself to be divine in three ways. He shows himself to be divine in three ways. You ready to see him? The first is this, as we walk through this passage now, okay? Number one, Jesus' teachings are greater. Jesus is showing himself to be divine. First and foremost, what we see is Jesus' teachings are greater. How is he showing this? His teachings are greater, verses one through three. So listen, now it's time for you Eyes on the text, okay? Everybody ready? Eyes on the text. It's time for us to fall in love with the text. So eyes locked onto it, look through it, walk through it. Let's walk through it. Here we go. Verse one. What we see is it says on one occasion, like what occasion? Well, we know here's what he's doing, okay? He is preaching about the kingdom of God, specifically in or heading to Judea. How do we know that? Well, because in verse 40, 42, look up, right? We see that the people of Capernaum, they were trying to keep him from leaving, right? Like, don't go, Jesus. Stay with us. We want you here. We don't want you leaving, right? They're trying to keep him. You got me? And listen, he says in verse 43 that he must leave. Why? to preach the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. That's why he's got to leave. And in verse 44, look at it, keep your eye on the text. He goes to where? Judea, and he's preaching about the kingdom of God. So this is one occasion of this happening. Maybe he's on his way, which we know from the map that he was. Now, look at verse 44, okay? We see that he's preaching in the synagogues, right? He's like in the official places where he's going to teach, okay? Okay. Well, what Jesus is preaching here 
we see faces a kind of a turning point. Why does he face a turning point? Well, in the ministry of Jesus, last time we saw him preach was in a synagogue too, right? And now again, he's preaching in the synagogue. Listen, ready? But after verse 44, what we see is that he's preaching, but it's not in the synagogue, it's by the lakeside. And listen, church, he's going to be back in the synagogue. He's going to be back in there. There's a time coming, though, listen, when the door will be shut to the synagogue, when the door will be shut to him, to Jesus. The synagogue door will be shut to him by the Jews, and his church will be the lakeside and the open roads, and his pulpit is going to be a boat. I wish my pulpit was a boat, right? I could be preaching on the lake. Let's go do that next week, okay? But this is what he's doing. He's not preaching in the synagogues anymore past a certain point because the Jewish people are going to shut the doors on him. And he's going to be preaching in the lakes, on the lakesides and in the open roads. Why? Because he will go anywhere where people will listen to the truth. He's going to go anywhere. Because why? Because he's the divine source of truth. His teachings are greater. He teaches people about himself. They believe and they have salvation. He's the divine source of truth. He needs people to hear, not because he needs it, but because he wants to save their soul for salvation and righteousness. And listen, this is good for us to see. Why? Because this is also the pattern that is set forth by the apostles in Acts, right? Their pulpits were the open roads, and so will yours be. Listen, church, your pulpit will be your open roads. Like your homes, your workplaces, your gym, your coffee shop, where you go to school, those places will be the place in which Jesus calls you to preach the good news. The open roads. It's not in here. It's not like you're going to preach the gospel in here to the other people around you. Maybe you will sometimes, but more appropriately and more often, you will do so in your own life, preaching the gospel to anyone who listens. So listen, Jesus, instead of being in the synagogue, he's by this lake. And this lake is also known for, in two other names, for two other names in, in, in the other gospels. And it's the Sea of Galilee and the Sea of Tiberias, right? Like, look at this. It's on the map. You see that this is a huge lake. Now, it doesn't even look that huge compared to the Dead Sea, right? But this is a big, big lake. This is 13 miles long by eight miles wide. And it's situated right next to a great plain of fertile land in which people would know they would call it the garden of riches or the garden of princes. And so what a fitting image that Jesus is going to do his ministry where, there's, where, where the, everything is fertile, right? Ready to grow. And so he's there at this lake. Now this lake is also, just so you know, six, I can relate to these people, right? Because they're 680 feet below sea level. Sounds kind of like New Orleans, right? So we can relate to these. These are our people, okay? They probably got flooded a lot, right? And though, listen, this place isn't very populated now, let me tell you, there were nine clusters of townships surrounding this body of water. No less than 15,000 people. This is a strategic place for Jesus to do what he does best, and that's to teach about himself to preach, which side note we can learn from. Because ask the question in your life, where's the most strategic place for you to invest your time? Where's the most strategic place for you to do ministry? Where's the most strategic place for you to influence with the gospel and the gospel to spread? Where's that place? 
Jesus is going here because it's strategic. These people will take the gospel around the world. Now look at this. We're only in verse 1 still. The crowd is pressing in on him. And they're hearing the word of God, meaning, listen, what does it mean that they're hearing the word of God? They, they're pressing in on him to hear the word of God. Well, either meaning that the word was from God, they're pressing in to hear the word from God, or they're pressing in to hear the word that is about God. Obviously, we know because he's preaching of the kingdom of God, as we saw in verse 43, that this is both. Because the kingdom of God is from God, and it's about God. Right? And so this is what he's preaching. This is alluding to both, right? About God and from God, this word. And the crowd is pressing in on him, verse 41, or verse number, chapter, uh, verse one in uh, chapter five. They're pressing in on him. Listen, look at this, what it says. Look at your text. To hear this word of God. And this, church, listen, this gives us the point of the section. This gives us insight into the point of the section. They're pressing in on him for a purpose, to hear the word of God. Listen, Jesus is the source of divine truth. He's the source, and he's displaying his divinity through his teachings, and that his teachings are greater. The crowd is pressing in. This is not normal. Listen, it's not normal for unregenerate people to do this. It's normal for people to seek teachers who promise earthly blessing, but not to hear the word of God. How do I know this? Well, Romans 3 tells us, look at this. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one does what? Nobody. Why? Because you got sin. But these people are seeking something, and they're seeking to hear the word of God. It tells us very particularly as the reason for this pressing in. So you want to know what we know from this? The Holy Spirit's at work. Along with Jesus' teaching, as he's spraying truth, Holy Spirit power's coming, and it's infusing, and it's, it's telling people, listen, you want to listen to this. This is good news. And people are seeing this and hearing this, and they're saying, wow, I want this. Listen, this is a great note for us also, because if you yourself are in a place to which you are seeking God, guess what? Praise God, because God is at work in your life. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is coming along with Jesus' words and doing a work that nobody else can do. They're pressing in to hear the Word of God. Jesus' teachings are greater. The Holy Spirit comes with it. Like when you're sitting in your house and you're reading God's word and you know the Lord, that Holy Spirit that lives inside of you is bringing to light, bringing clarity and understanding to what you're reading so you can understand who Jesus is and what the truth about him really is. The Holy Spirit is coming and he's doing work here. He's doing work. And if you are someone who is seeking God, praise God for the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Believers, be encouraged by this because I know I know the trick of Satan. I'm not where I want to be. And you can go about 10 years being depressed because you're not where you want to be. Can I tell you something? If you want to be where you want to be, the Holy Spirit's at work in your life. That's the truth. Because without him, you're not doing anything. No one seeks for God, so God is working in you. And if you're just exploring, God is at work in your life. 
And also, let me encourage you with this. As you share your faith with other people and want to see your family and friends come to know Jesus, we must pray that God does this work because guess who does, causes the growth? God. We plant and water, and he causes the growth. So listen, Jesus, his divine truth spraying everywhere. He's got a greater truth than any other teacher, priest, prophet. People are listening. They're pressing in to hear the word of God. And this is also probably a byproduct of him of what they've heard earlier from Jesus. Remember when we covered this a few weeks ago? People were amazed by Jesus because when he taught, he taught as one with what? Authority. Look at this. Remember in Luke 4, 32, it's on the screen. They were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. So here's this Jesus. People are pressing in. They want to hear the word of God. Holy Spirit's coming down, doing work, and he is speaking as one like this truth is from me. Like, I have authority and this. This is like coming out of me. He's the source of divine truth. So they're captivated by this man. He is showing himself to be divine, the son of God, unlike anyone else through the greatness of his teaching. He's the divine teacher. He's the source of truth. He's the son of God. His teachings are greater. So he's preaching about the kingdom of God. People are pressing in because it's Things are greater. Verse 2, look at this. For everyone to hear, you see two boats belonging to Peter, James, and to John. And they were all unmanned, okay? You see this in verse 2? They're all unmanned. Here's these two boats. They're unmanned. Jesus is teaching. People are pressing in. So Jesus gets into one of the boats. So Jesus steals a boat, all right? Moral of the story, steal boats. Just kidding. Jesus owns these boats anyway, right? He made them, okay? So he can take whatever he wants. But listen, it's great to notice that Jesus is using normal things to get his message out. He's using normal things, and the same is true for us. Listen, Jesus will use what seems normal in your life to get his message out. Do you know that? Jesus will do the same for us. He will use what seems normal to get his, get his message out. When your car breaks down, when you're having a birthday party and your neighbor comes over, when you talk with the waitress, not about how bad the food is, but about Jesus, when you put out something that seems normal, like a piece of cardstock that we're going to put out uh -uh, for our birthday, right? He uses those door hangers to call people in. We want you to be part of door hanger day. God uses them. But listen, he uses what seems normal to get his message out. Don't wait for the shooting star to share your faith or invite someone to church. Use normal day life. So verse 2, listen, the fishermen were washing their nets. And by the way, these are huge nets. So look at this. Look at the text. So while the fishermen, they're hard at work and they're washing their nets, they're focused on other things, Jesus is also working. Jesus is always working while you are at work doing normal things. Jesus, too, is working behind the scenes and he's drawing hearts to himself. He's always working. You should be encouraged by this. And he gets into one of the boats, verse 3, and he asks Simon, who is Peter, to push out from the land. So Simon must have gotten back into the boat after washing his nets. And Jesus, look at this. Next thing about his teaching, he sits down. Look at the text. He gets in the boat, and what does he do? He sits down to teach, which is the customary uh, uh, custom of the day for these teachers, to sit down. I don't know if you can put two words together like that, but I just did, all right? He sits down to teach. Listen, and this shows something else about the greatness of Jesus' teaching. Not only is, it, is the Holy Spirit behind it, not only is it, is it with authority, but it's also full of compassion. This shows Jesus' heart. 
He's humble in heart. He sits down. Listen, if I'm Jesus and I'm trying to show myself to be the son of God, like I'm going to like levitate, right? <laughs> like, all right, you want to see that I'm the son of God? Watch this, right? I'm going to teach uh, from a place where there's nothing underneath me, right? He's not levitating. He's sitting down to get on their level. And he begins to do what he does all along, teaching the people about the kingdom of God. You can see the content of it. Don't turn, this, don't turn there now. But if you want to see the content of what he starts teaching, Matthew chapter 13 shows it to us. And so all throughout this, Jesus is showing himself to be the son of God, the divine source of truth through the greatness of his teaching. And listen, church, I wonder. I wonder if you embrace Jesus as God based upon the great truth of his teachings. Has the word of God so illuminated you to Jesus and Jesus to you that he holds the highest place in your life? Because listen, when you see his word and you see him, he becomes great to you. Not that he's not already great, but he becomes great to you. And church, let me tell you, if you're not looking at his teachings every day, there's no wonder, it's, it would be impossible for him to become great to you if you're not looking at his greatness through his word on a daily basis. This is how he shows himself to be great. You become captivated, you believe, you receive salvation, and you keep him at number one always in your life. Because when you're captivated by what the word says about him, You'll be ready to follow him. So read, discuss, hear, think through, follow the word of God and let it affect how you see Jesus. Number one, Jesus is indeed the son of God, evidenced by being the divine source of truth. Jesus' teachings are greater. Number two, what we see in our passage is that Jesus' works are greater. Now we see in this passage he's getting into his works, right? So when he finished speaking, look at this, verse 4, okay? He says to Simon, who is Peter, push the boat out a little further, okay? Let's go deep, bro. Like, let's go fishing, Big Pete, right? Let down your nets for a catch. That's what he's saying here. And we know from reading it, this was going to be a pretty significant catch, right? So he's been with the crowds. Now he's with the three, the three that would be his true hands and feet for, for the rest of, of their lives. This was just the beginning. And so he, he, he says, let down the nets. And Simon, as we see in these verses, in verse four, he hesitates with unbelief, okay? Where do we see this? Well, first he answers master, right? And as you look at that master, like this is, it's only used in this gospel in the New Testament, and it's not really a specific term. So he says, Peter, let down your nets. Let's go deep. Let down your nets. And Peter first says, master, listen, this is not a specific term. It's not really like rabbi, for instance, or anything even specific. It's really more vague. Master meaning simply anyone with authority, right? And Jesus has already established that he has authority through his teaching, and Peter's just saying this vague term. Now circle that, underline that. It's important because at this point, Jesus has established it, but this illuminates to us that Peter isn't there yet. He isn't where? Well, he isn't believing that this is the divine Son of God, which is the very point of this text. Right? Great? Sure. Jesus, you're something? Sure. You got authority? Sure. Divine Son of God? Hmm... Not sure. 
So Peter secondly displays his unbelief, and this might even slightly be a rebuke. Verse 5, he says to Jesus, but we toiled, we worked hard all night, we did our best. Listen, I'm the expert in this field, Jesus, all right? This is what I do for a living. I'm the expert. I do this all of the time. I know what I'm doing. We toiled all night, and we've fished, and guess what? I, we are the greatest ones at, at this, and we took a whole bunch of what? Nothing. I've worked so hard, Jesus, to make all of this work, and it has amounted to nothing. There is no way that you could do anything different. I know what I'm doing in this area. Nighttime was the best time for fishing. Did you know that? So listen, you fishermen out there, like the next time you come back to, from fishing and your wife says, oh, you didn't catch anything again? Like, awesome job. You protect your ego by saying this. Listen, I went during the day. Okay? That's why I didn't catch anything. Next time, if I have time, I'll go at night and we'll see what happens. So listen, these were the experts. Some of the greatest probably fishing at the right time, the greatest time catching nothing. What in the world does this carpenter know? Like go back to hitting your nails and screwing your screws, bro. We tried. But we see Peter's willingness in verse 5. Look, to try at the request. Check it out. And it shows what Jesus has been doing all along, showing himself to be the Son of God. Because Peter might not understand yet, but Peter recognizes that Jesus' words are not to be ignored on any subject. And we should take heed. Listen, church, when things look impossible, let me just help you. When things look impossible in your own strength, and when you've been tempted to give up and your toil has amounted to nothing, when your expertise that you think that you have, your perceived greatness has left you hanging, when your nets are washed, and when it seems like it's over, the failure is realized, maybe you'll try again someday, don't count God out. Don't count Jesus out. He's not like us. That's oftentimes when he's ready to display his greatness, actually. When all circumstances look like they're going in the opposite direction. Surprising us with his plan. He's independent with his power. You think failure is a foregone conclusion, but Jesus isn't bound by time or circumstance unfavorable circumstance, right, for these guys. It's daytime, hadn't been working, the nets have been washed. It's oftentimes the best time for God to take an opportunity to show off. So don't count God out or think that he's done. Listen, think again. These circumstances are what they are, and it looks like it's done, but too often we wait because it's not the opportune time. And listen, too often we think that we know the opportune time when Jesus is going to come through. If we wait for the perfect set of circumstances, listen, we might not ever begin at all. And if we want a miracle, I'm convinced we must take Jesus at his word when he bids us to attempt the impossible. And let him come through. And so listen, this isn't over yet. Jesus is not like them. He is not like us. And in this miracle, look at this, verse 6, we find the point of this section where this really does help us understand the point of the section. When they did this, look at this, verse 6, they caught so many fish that the nets were breaking. The nets were breaking. Now, 
Did Jesus make more fish in this instant? Well, he could have, right? More fish now, right? But I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think he would have displayed that. He could have, but here, what he's doing, listen, in these works is he's displaying some things very particularly. He is displaying his omniscience and he is displaying his omnipotence. That's what he's doing in this. He is showing his omniscience and his omnipotence, aspects of his divinity. Listen, he is the greatest, displayed by his great work. He is the son of God. He is omniscient. He knows where the fish are. He is omnipotent. He has all the power to catch them if he wants to. This is the point of the work. This is the point of him doing this miracle. What's impossible for the son of God? Absolutely nothing. Because he knows everything. And he's got the power to do everything. And so over this course of time, what he's doing, this, of course, is meant to display his divinity. So listen, verse 7, so many fish were caught that they signaled to the partners, James, John, on the other boat. Listen, look at this, verse 7. And both boats were so filled that they began to sink. Like when he made bread, right? And there were leftovers for days. Like, we need bread. How can you make this out of nothing? And he's like, yeah, let me make some and we'll have leftovers, right? Jesus has so many fish that the boats are sinking, there are leftovers. Listen, this is displaying Jesus isn't even in the same category as these dudes. Like, not even in the same category. He's not in the same category of any of us. He's holy. He's unlike any other. He's greater. He's divine. He is the Son of God. Listen, He is greater by like a long shot. It's not even close, right? No technique needed. You got circumstances, you got fishing at night, you got expertise. Listen, I got omnipotence and I got omniscience. You ready? Like, you think that's going to be enough to take care of the issue? He's showing himself not even to be in the same category. He's divine. That's what the whole purpose of this is. Verse 8, we see once again the point of the section. Because listen, when Peter saw this, imagine your response. Just imagine sitting on the boat. You've tried all night. You're trying your best. Jesus comes in, two boats full, beginning to sink. The only response is, he's greater. He is greater. Like there's no other response. So when Peter sees this, imagine your response. And he's saying, I tried all night with everything I know. He is greater. He is so much more great than me. Peter falls down. Look at this. He worships at Jesus' feet. He doesn't call him master this time. This time. Like, like ready, get out of here with like master. Because at this point, I'm less, you're greater. Now to me, you are Lord. A phrase used often in scripture to address deity. We see again the point of this. You're God. And as we see, even in Isaiah chapter 6, you guys remember in Isaiah chapter 6, the very natural thing to do when you get a good picture of God and his holiness is to do what? Your natural response is to then look at yourself and say, I fall short, right? Which side note, listen, if you don't see your need for Christ, stop comparing yourself to others and start comparing yourself to God and your sinfulness will become very evident very quickly and you will need a savior. So that's what we see here. Peter is called, verse 8, look at this, now Simon Peter. I love that because listen, you can see these little details as you read. Listen, Simon Peter instead of Simon, maybe this is the start of his belief. New name, 
Even though his explicit confession wouldn't come until chapter 9, and Luke would start calling him Peter exclusively after chapter 6, I think this is the author's sign to us that this is when belief happened. I love this. Look at his name hyphenated, showing the old man and the new man, one immediately after the other. Name change, which is God's pattern in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, belief, the whole point of what Jesus was doing the whole time. To Peter, the catch, listen, the catch wasn't even a big deal. (laughs) He doesn't even mention it. He doesn't even mention the catch. The catch wasn't even a big deal. God was. And how appropriate of a response when God does something great in our lives. The miracle isn't the big deal. The God behind the miracle is the big deal. That's what he's doing here. He sees it and he focuses his attention on Jesus. Verse 9, everyone who was with him was astonished. James and John 2, verse 10, showing us that there was more than just the three there because he says the others were and so were James and John. But the emphasis, as usual, is on those three. And interestingly, look, I want to show you this. Verse 9 starts with the word for. Circle that, underline it, meaning this, because or showing one of the reasons. Listen, one of the reasons why Peter believed, you see, that he called him Lord and he fell down on his knees was not just because Peter saw it with his own eyes, but also for the reason because other people also saw and were astonished too. Listen, this begs our attention because I want to tell you belief will also be influenced, not just at your sight, but when others see your sight. When others are seeing your astonishment by God, that's his glory again being displayed, and he looks great to you because you're satisfied in him, in his love, in his greatness, others who are watching will see his greatness through your eyes, through your infatuation, and maybe just believe too. Peter was influenced to believe because others were astonished too. Jesus' works are greater. He's showing himself to be divine, the son of God. And listen, church, I wonder if Jesus' works in the world and in his word would cause you to embrace him, yourself, as the Son of God. Do you see his works in the world and in his word? To embrace him as the Son of God. And if you have, listen, I wonder if looking at them afresh would cause you to embrace him as the greatest one in your life once again. Trust him as greater Trust him as greater than all of your circumstances. He's the divine one, knowing he's God. Because of his omniscience and omnipotence, you can trust him with the impossible. Don't count God out. Listen, have you embraced him as the great one because he has displayed to be so through his works? Number one, Jesus' teachings are greater. Number two, Jesus' works are greater. And just a brief mention about this final section, Jesus' leading, number three, is greater. Verses 10b through 11. Just a brief word about this section. Number three, Jesus' leading is greater. In response to Peter, listen, and really James and John 2, verse 10, Jesus says something fittingly, very fittingly, a fitting word. He says, don't be afraid. Now, this is fitting because they just saw the divine one do his work. There will now be temptation for them to legitimately fear, not like just reverence, but real fear in light of his divinity, his superiority. But rather than him using this to scare, he is on earth not to use his divinity to scare. He's on earth to use his divinity to show mercy, to die for us, ultimately, in living perfectly, 
and dying for us. And here he's meant to show his divinity, but not to lord it over, to show compassion and to commission his disciples. Listen, he will use this illustration of fishing to show them what they will do for him as they follow his leading. Listen, they're going to fish using the gospel as the bait, as the true bait, and they will catch men and women for the kingdom of God. And let me just tell you something really quick. We're about done. As these kind of nets are spread into the water, the kind of nets that they're using, many things would come up in the net as it would spread wide. Some true fish, others not. And it wouldn't be until they're sorted on shore, if you know what I mean, that the truth would be seen. But let me tell you this. As you share your faith, spread your net just far. And and you know, some are going to be true fish and some are not. But our job is to just spread the net. So listen, because of his display of divinity, he's worth following. He's the greatest, so there would be no one greater to follow. Therefore, verse 11, get to verse 11, look at it. This is easy now. When you see all that, verse 11 is like easy peasy for us. Of course. (laughs) When they got back, like why wouldn't they? Leave everything and follow him. Let me encourage you, if you'll see him, if you'll truly see him, you'll sell everything and have him as your treasure. Your following him will not just be personal, it will be a purpose, with a purpose to catch others. So listen, no matter where you're at on the spectrum of believing, who could be more worth following? Drop everything and follow him. He's the son of God. Jesus shows us this through the greatness of his teaching through the greatness greatness of his works and through the greatness of his leading. He's the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today and we covered a lot of text, but oh, how great we see you are. God, I pray that everyone in this room today would see you as divine and they would embrace you as the greatest one. You've displayed that to us through the greatness of your teaching. You've displayed that to us through the greatness of your works. And you displayed that to us through the greatness of your leading, that of course what we would do is you show mercy to us as the divine one, even though we are full of sin, and you call us to be part of your plan and your purpose, though we are unworthy of it, of course, because there is no one greater, what else would we do but leave our stuff, sell all of it, and follow you. You're the son of God. Thank you for how you call us into a relationship with yourself. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.